0: Our reading is Romans, page 1139, chapter 11, verse 33 to 36. So, a bit of context. Paul declares God's glory, having explained the wonderful gospel of Lord Jesus. O the depth of the riches of the wisdom and knowledge of God! How unsearchable his judgments and his paths beyond tracing out! Who has known the the mind of the Lord! or who has has been his counselor, who has ever given to God, that God should repay him. For from him and through him and for him are all things. To him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Let's pray together, shall we? Our Father, we come now to hear your voice through your word. Please would you speak to us, enable there to be clarity, and above all, a work of your spirit, that the Lord Jesus would be held up high here tonight. In his name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, thanks ever so for coming. It's really good to see so many of you, and um, yes, I have really aged. There was a time when I began the school's work uh, 30 years ago that I had hair. It was brown. I had a waistline. Um, yes, those things are in the past, but nonetheless, hopefully I'm still the same and certainly have the same passion that I had then. So thank you very much for coming. Um, when the school's work, as it was called back then, the Royal Borough of Kingston School's Christian work, a real mouthful, when it began back in um, September 1988, based in a bedroom in Chessington, I think... Um, Certainly my expectation was we will uh, do this work for as long as there is a window of opportunity. And although we didn't put a kind of figure on that, I think maybe we thought maybe eight, ten years, and then maybe things might change. But here we are, 30 years later, and we say, don't we, how good God is. How good he is, 30 years later, that he is still opening the doors of the schools for the gospel in Kingston. I want to think a bit about children for a second. It can be really, really interesting to work with children. A child was once asked by her teacher what she was doing. I'm drawing a picture of God, she said. Oh, but no one knows what good looks like, said the teacher. The child continued to draw. Well, they will in a minute. <laughs> and perhaps it was the same child who declared, I think that God is a very nice man and is very kind to everyone. He punishes people when they do something very bad. He invented schools. (laughs) Uh, Not that teens are any more straightforward. Listen to this lament. The youth lack in sexual restraint, are fickle in their desires, are passionate and impulsive. And that was written by no less a man than Aristotle, some 300 years before the Lord Jesus Christ came to earth. So whoever said never worked with children and animals, knew a thing or two, didn't they? They really did. And yet, here we are, celebrating a work amongst children and adolescents. And this is because, for all the challenges they present, God views them as incredibly precious. We see this clearly in the Bible in places such as the first eight verses of Psalm 78, which were read at the induction service at Christ Church New Malden. And even in his hectic life, the Lord Jesus showed a deep care and awareness of the young. He even did a bit of people watching as he observed the games the children played in the local town square. There is no doubt that the church should be deeply concerned with and involved with the young. Possibly animals as well. But anyway. And I want us to think about four things this evening. So, first of all, can you put this up great. Remember your calling. What is it that we have to offer the young? Quite simply, it is the Lord God as seen in the Lord Jesus. And this is who they need to know most. This is who alone can rescue them from the judgment to come and so bring much of the impact of sin here and now to nothing. That's why we're thinking about Romans 11, and particularly verses 34 to 36. Let me just read them to you again. Who has known the mind of the Lord? Or who has been his counsellor? Or who has given him a gift that he might be repaid? For from him, and through him, and to him are all, All things to him be glory forever, amen. And it's interesting that this actually comes in the book of Romans before the very practical how to stuff of chapters 12 to 16, because Christian living flows out of a heart that loves God. Rejoices in his sovereignty and is filled with awe and thankfulness at his love and mercy. These verses are an outpouring of praise and wonder. And that's what we are working for, aren't we? We're praying and investing our lives in young people being filled with admiration for and adoration of the Lord Jesus. So in these verses, we see that so great is our God that he is supreme in wisdom, he is supreme in knowledge, and he is supreme in ownership. And isn't that what the young desperately need? Isn't that what we all need? And so we bring to them the all-wise God. His rescue plan through the cross is simply stunning in its wisdom. No human being could ever have invented such a way out of the mess of the sin. And so we sing with Paul, I stand amazed in the presence of Jesus and Nazarene and wonder how he could love me, a sinner, condemned, unclean. How marvellous, how wonderful and my song will ever be How marvelous, how wonderful is the Savior's love for me. An all-wise God. And we bring to them the God who needs no advisors to run his world. How many there are queuing up to tell God how he could do so much better a job if only they would listen to him or he would listen to them? The world is filled with God advisors but says Romans 11, he needs none of them. And we bring to them the God who owns everything. We cannot place God in our debt. We cannot act as if he owes us. We have no bargaining power over God. Someone puts it like this. We are utterly owned and we are squatters in his territory. Every breath we take is his gift. And then comes the grand reason for the truth of these things. Do you see in verse 36 the little word for? For, from him and through him and to him are all things. In other words, everything, seen and unseen, Massive or small, angelic or human, natural or supernatural, quarks or galaxies, molecules or dark matter, everything is about God. He made it. He sustains it. And he did it so that we might admire him. And I wonder whether you feel maybe slightly uncomfortable with that last part. After all, if we did things so that we might be praised or made much of, it would be ugly and sad in equal measure, wouldn't it? What needy, vain people we would be. But this is not true of God, who is full of goodness, truth, and beauty— it would be a weird and ultimately futile goal for the world to exist for anyone or anything less than this God. And do you notice how all-encompassing this is? Look again at verse 36. For from him and through him and to him are all things. This three-letter word encompasses everything. Even a child can get this. So from God and through God and for God are some things? No. Or so from God and through God and for God are a lot of things? No. So from God and through God and for God are a whole galaxy of things? No. So from God and through God and for God are many things? No. No. So from God and through God and for God are most things. No. So from God and through God and for God are everything we can think about. No. No. From God and through God and for God are all things. Nothing is left out. So the great goal of insight is not information but transformation. What we long to see is young people set free to become this type of a worshipper. We want to see the young have their horizons filled with God so that no matter what life is like for them and it will involve hardship along the way because the world is a fallen place these young people We'll continue to trust in God and thank him for all that he is doing as well as all that he is. That, that is our calling. Do you see it tonight? That's our calling. But secondly, reality check. You see, what the Bible declares is actually very different from reality. Reality. The truth is, as Paul says earlier in Romans, uh, all have sinned, with the result that we fall short of the glory of God that we've just been thinking about. The very one we were made for is increasingly, it seems to me, hidden from the young in our world, and so they fall short of knowing and enjoying the God of the universe. They know nothing of his glory. Many haven't the faintest idea that they were made for him. It's happening in our popular culture. Let me just illustrate. Let's think about the message of self-esteem. For nearly 50 years, this has been the bedrock of much, of much modern thinking about human beings. And as is so often the case, teachers, you will at this point go, oh yes, schools have been charged with delivering the message. But now it is being recognized, finally... Just actually, how unhelpful that is. There was a poll done of those uh, who had high self esteem. Do you know who polled the highest? Prisoners. Say no more. This actually, this message defies reality. I think of the story of a Christian governor in an infant school where the head was presenting the new school values. This was only recently, it was about two years ago. And part of uh, the new school values were reach for the stars. And the head said, every child can achieve anything they want. So the Christian governor listened and said, well, is that actually true? And the head thought about it and said, well, well no, but it's quite helpful, isn't it? How untruth could be a helpful part of a young child's learning seems to me utterly bizarre but that's the gospel of self-esteem. And I would want to say a massive fraud has been perpetrated on the young. Because the message of the modern gospel of self-esteem promises redemption from the wrong place and therefore it will never work. For start off, it asks the wrong question and then it focuses in the wrong place. The wrong question is, who am I? The right question is, whose am I? The wrong focus is on me. The right focus is actually away from myself. This is how I've helpfully heard it put. What self-esteem does is say, imagine that there's a mirror, and I want you to look really, really intensely into that mirror and feel good about yourself. What the gospel says is, Imagine there's a window, and I want you to look through that window, away from yourself, to this almighty, magnificent God who made you for himself. The fact is, the whole idea of us forming our own identity and forging our own destiny is badly mistaken. And I want to suggest to you it's doing untold damage, not least to the young. So there's a reality check. There's certainly, you know, recognize our calling, but then there's this reality check. So how do we connect the young with their creator? Thirdly, recognize the culture. Now, that may not be the place where you expect to begin, but I want to suggest to you we need to start there because if we don't navigate the cultural landscape then we'll not be able to serve the children and adolescents in our borough and beyond. We need to connect the Bible with the world in which the young are growing up. And I want to mention three things. Here's the first. There is what I've called the unmet hunger of the soul. Uh, When the school's work began, we haven't mentioned uh, much because we've got lots to say this evening, but we... uh, Trevor and I um, met with Scripture Union not just once but many a time and received incredibly helpful advice. It certainly saved me from many a blunder. And just around the time when um, we were meeting with them, they had produced a film called The Hidden Hunger. And I still remember this to this day. The idea was quite a simple one there is a hunger in children that we all recognize. The appalling pictures of little children whose emaciated bodies are near death with flies walking over their little faces as they remain motionless, too sick to move or even to cry. And we are rightly moved by pictures of that hunger to give to alleviate such suffering. But, said Scripture Union, there is a hidden hunger is the hunger of the soul for every child denied the knowledge of God and is it not true that we are seeing some of the results of ignoring that hidden hunger in the lives of so many young people in the UK today I think they're a bit like the canaries in the mineshaft you know at the turn of the century, last century, when miners would go down into the the pits, often they would be digging and then gases would be released uh, that could kill them. And so they would take canaries with them because the canaries would actually be affected by the gases more quickly and often would die. But at least they'd warn the miners to get out of the mine in time. And I think the young are a bit like that. According to one august body... Here are some of the conditions affecting the young. Anxiety, depression, eating disorders, conduct disorder, which is serious antisocial behaviour, attention deficit and hyperactivity disorder, and self-harm. And the stats behind those statements are truly alarming. The Mental Health Foundation reports that between one in every 12 and one in 15 children and young people deliberately self Harm. The Young Minds charity recorded that from 2001 to 2011, the number of young people admitted to hospital because of self harm increased by 68%. Childline The UK's free 24-hour helpline for children and young people has reported rising levels of counselling sessions with over 300,000 sessions in 2015-16, which is an increase of 5% on the previous year. Suicide remains a leading cause of death in young people in the UK. In England, can you just... Can you get this? Here are young people with their lives ahead of them. And they're seriously thinking that suicide is a good option. What are we doing? What have we done? Listen to these stats. In England, 149 children aged between 10 and 19 committed suicide in 2014. That is almost three children every week now of course there are multiple factors behind these tragic statistics and i don't wish to draw a simplistic connection here but with roman's 11 ringing in our ears surely if we cut off the young from the god who made and sustains them it is bound to have a serious effect the truth about god is being daily suppressed The young are too often deprived of the meaning, the purpose, the significance and the identity that flows from knowing their creator and their rescuer. If we tell the young that they are no more than a cosmic accident, is it any wonder that they are in trouble or seek to create meaning in all manner of harmful behaviors? So recognize the culture You may not think this is good news. I think it's bad news and yet it should lead to good news because we need to recognize where we're at. There is an unmet hunger of the soul. Secondly, there is the need to engage with the opinion formers. Can we have the next slide up, please? This book came out this year. It's called Inventing Ourselves. The Secret Life of the Teenage Brain. It's written by Professor Sarah Jane Blakemore, who is a brilliant scientist and who cares deeply for the young. The Sunday Times includes her in its list of 100 makers of the 21st century. That should make us sit up and listen. And if we are not to be playing catch-up again, as I think we have been doing with the modern self-esteem movement, then we need to be engaging with material like this. Leaders in the Christian community need to be helping parents and teachers and pastors distinguishing between what's accurate science and what's dangerous personal opinion. In one simple web search, I counted 66 academic theological journals. And the Church of the Lord Jesus has an array of gifted men and women dealing with academic theology, and by God's grace, that filters down to the church to help sustain and keep the church pure. But I also counted 62 academic journals dedicated to children and adolescents. And I asked myself, Where are the people engaging with that material? Because it will shape how adolescents and children are are treated from parenting to education, from legal opinion to social work, from psychoanalysis to medical input. This will have a vast impact. So we cannot just ignore these books. We must engage with them. And here's why. Why? One academic commendation of the book, and there are plenty of names on this book saying how wonderful it is, says that the book shows, quotes how the brooding monsters in your living room, that's the adolescent, are not children gone wrong, they are delicate machines in transition. Really. So an adolescent becomes machine however delicate and i want to say is that not a defacing and a degrading of god's image bearers human beings are not being elevated in our culture they're being downgraded to machines christians used to be world leaders in thinking about and investing in the young We need to recover this and become the opinion formers of our culture. We need to engage skillfully, therefore, with today's opinion formers. So let's recognize the culture. Let's recognize the unmet hunger of the soul. Let's engage with the opinion formers so we have answers. And thirdly and finally, let's see ourselves as others do. One astute Christian writer points out that today Christians are regarded not just as hopelessly out of touch and faintly, therefore, to be pitied. No, no, no. We are actually a dangerous menace. Because we're guilty of some horrific things. Here's what we're guilty of, according to this viewpoint we're guilty of views that degrade humanity, we're guilty of wanting minorities to be marginalized. We're guilty of abusing people just for being different. And then he imagines someone writing about us. Here's what he says. For centuries, traditional morality has us in its suffocating grip. Year after year, the same old rules chained to the past heaped shame on ordinary men and women and boys and girls whose only crime was being different. Enemies of the human spirit, these bankrupt ideologies befriended bigots and encouraged the spiteful. They nurtured a seabed of hypocrisy and offered safe havens to perpetrators of abuse. No more. Changes here. Our time has come. A time to be ourselves. A time to be truly who we are. A time to celebrate love wherever we find it. A time for the human spirit to flourish again. And if these people won't move out of the way, we're going to push them out of the way. Now, that may be shocking for us to hear, but I think he's right. I think he's right. I think this is the way we're viewed. As a dangerous menace to the free-spirited needs of downtrodden people. So we need to see ourselves as others do. We've got to recognize the culture we're dealing with. Because then, fourthly, and finally, we can renew our calling. We must teach the Bible without embarrassment and without apology. It is the truth. And we have it because God, in His great mercy, has opened our eyes to see who He is and then to understand whose we are. The fact is, God is the great Creator. The fact is, God is the most loving being in the universe. He defines love because he is love. The fact is, God is holy and can never think or treat evil as good. The fact is, we are in a mess. But the fact is that God has sent his son to die on the cross to rescue us. Young people need to know those facts so that with the Spirit's work, they can be changed by them. So, insight team. Keep on thinking how to unleash the only true and wise God from the Bible to young hearts and minds who are having it hidden from them. And keep on particularly supporting Christian youngsters in their daily battle to live for the Lord Jesus in what is very often a hostile environment. I've never forgotten two, I think there were year nine girls. I won't say which school they were in, but it was a girls' school in the borough. And every week they had to endure this. In their PSE lesson, which was delivered in form time on a Tuesday morning, a topic would be chosen by the teacher and discussed... And at some point in time during that 40 minute lesson, it was guaranteed the teacher would stop the class discussion and say, Now, everybody, let's see what the Christians have to say. And week after week after week, those girls had to endure that. But they never gave up. And they followed Christ faithfully. So, Insight Team, keep going. (laughs) And remember that ultimately when all your energy has been expended with creativity, love, and sacrificial investment in the young, that the work ultimately, thankfully, doesn't depend on you. Remember, as someone has said, that God draws straight lines with crooked sticks. It's not your brilliance that's the key. It's not mine. None of us. It's dependence on God. Let me mention two names from folk in the early years of the school's work. Dillis Cotton of New Malden Baptist Church and Tom Toton of Chessington Evangelical Church. I guess these main names may not be known to many outside their own churches. But these were just two, and both have been promoted to glory now, these are just two of an entire army of folk who prayed week in, week out, for the school's work and the work owed as much to their prayers as did anything Allison, Pete or I did back in the day so insight team keep going and remember people are praying for you and secondly if you are a prayer partner then you keep going you are holding up Moses' hands so to speak You are the support that will see this work progress. Thank you so much for praying. Please keep going and don't stop. And then what about Christian teachers? We'll never have Jesus' words about being light in the darkness. Seems to me be more true. Amidst the mountain of paperwork, the challenges of discipline... And now the funding pressures that are coming into the education system. Fulfill your calling to model and as much as possible to speak of Christ to your pupils and students. And finally, Christian parents, fulfill your calling to intentionally raise your children to live as disciples of the Lord Jesus. In a world saturated by social media, with all sorts of hostile cultural messages, some of which we just thought about, it's vital that you invest as much care and thought in raising your children to follow Christ as you do in thinking about the schools they're going to go to, or the vast array of activities available for them to participate in. And churches. Churches. Keep on praying for and developing programs to help the young work out how to manage huge, huge issues. If if I may change my analogy from the um, canary in the mineshaft, they are like the troops in the trenches in the front line. They're in the firing line, not me. I don't have to deal with some of the incredibly complex, ethical and moral issues that are thrown at them in the pressure cooker of the the classroom. But they do. So together, in partnership, pastors and youth leaders and parents, make sure you keep the supply lines going. The supplies are reaching the front. And why do we do all of this? We do it so that the young might rise up and declare that from God and through God and to God are all things. To him be glory forever. Amen. Let's pray, shall we? Almighty, eternal God, Loving Father, help us to continue to serve the young that you have given us the privilege of caring for and raising. Bless every parent, every pastor, every youth leader, every prayer partner, every giver, every member of the Insight team. And may we, in your mercy and grace, may see 30 years from now Many, many won for the Lord Jesus. Many Christian youngsters strengthened to to stand firm and to never let go of Christ. We ask these things in his name. Amen.